0: You ever hear the one about the pastor who was cleaning out some drawers and found an egg carton with only one egg in it? And when he asked his wife about why he why there was an egg carton hidden away into a drawer, she said that every time he preached a bad message, she put one inside of she put an egg inside of the carton and he kind of felt good about himself because in all the years of ministry, there was only like two eggs in there or something but then she revealed that she has sold dozens of eggs that way or something some bananas insulting his thing that he's apparently a horrible preacher or something welcome to my seminary life i'm your host brandon knight we're in communication in ministry you ever heard that joke i've kind of butchered it it's something along those lines of like he's done a horrible job preaching his entire ministry and she's sold dozens and dozens of eggs or something like that. It's yeah, why are preachers bad at their job? I mean, there's other parts to being a pastor, don't get me wrong, it's shepherding after all, but come on, why are some why are some people just that dry? It's not that you have to be entertaining, but also like it seems to be the butt of every joke that like, uh, oh, my pastor's boring, you know, or a pastor wife being that, you know, that just seems very malicious. Anyway, I hope that's never actually happened. In today's episode, you get to listen to a sermon. Hooray. And if it's bad, put an egg in a carton, I guess. This is my sermon on Psalm chapter eight. This is a hymn, which I talk a little bit about what makes a What makes a psalm a hymn as opposed to other genres of scripture? And this is by far one of my favorite psalms of all time. And it's so, it's beautiful. It's awe-inspiring. It's existential in a way. I love it a lot. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's message. Recently, I was with a group of friends and we were talking church stuff, church matters. And I asked the question, What do you think of when you hear the word Him? And immediately, almost too quickly, I'm not even sure if the question was out of my mouth fully yet. My one friend goes, Baptist. Instantly. So, congratulations to you all here this morning. It's not the Gettys or Bill Gaither or Fanny Crosby or even Amazing Grace. You all are the face of hymns. You are what people think of when they think of the word hymns. And everyone had a good laugh about it because it was a little too quick of an answer. But as people continue to answer that question, it did kind of keep coming back to maybe not necessarily just Baptist, but the a more of an old style Way of doing church. They were saying things like, you know, I think of pews or I think of hymnals and the heavy books that we used to have in my old church. Some of my friends got to the actual, like, technical definition of hymns, which was encouraging. You know, not all of the time. Actually, the two hymns that we sang this morning are a good example of this. But a majority of the time, hymns don't have a chorus. They usually are four or five verses that we always skip the third one for some reason. When I was a kid, this is true. When I was a child, I, I always thought that maybe the third verse was always like unbiblical or that there was something wrong with it because we always skipped number three for some reason. That's a child's mentality on this. But normally, hymns don't have a chorus. One of the ones we sang today did. Another thing that is common among hymns is that they are usually more theological in nature. Hymns were used to teach. They were a teaching tool back in the day. Now, modern praise music is a little bit more directed at praise. That's, it's in the title. The purpose of praise songs is to directly point us to praising God, while hymns were used to teach. That doesn't mean one is better than the other. Actually, it's churches like this where I do my traveling preaching that I'm always more encouraged at being at, where you have a balance of both, because I think that is a good way to continue to teach the congregation while also pointing them to praise God. Some people said, you know, the language is a little old-fashioned. You know, there's a whole bunch of different definitions for how we think of hymns. And if I were to go around the room, maybe you all could lift up additional answers to what is a hymn? What do you think of when you think of the word hymn? I bring all of this up because the psalm that we are going to look at today, Psalm 8, is considered a hymn. This is a Jewish hymn. In the book of Psalms, there are a number of different genres. There's a number of different types of of psalms. How many different types is kind of like asking how many different types of music are there. It really just depends on who you're talking to. Some commentators have these very broad categories that they group all of the different psalms into, while others have very specific, very nuanced answers for this is this very specific type and there's this specific type. It'd be like if you asked me, Brandon, What type of music do you like listening to? If I said rock music, that's a very general, that could be a lot of different things, but everyone knows what rock music is. As opposed to if I said punk rock, and now you're all thinking the Ramones and Green Day, and you're all very much questioning who let this guy up on stage, but that is is the music I like listening to, and my mom is still upset about it. Pause for dramatic effect, because many of you know my mother. <laughs> but that's, it, that's how the psalms work as well. Some have very broad categories. Some have very specific categories. Generally speaking, these are the typical types of psalms that there are. Hymn, like we're going to talk about today. Praise and thankfulness. assent; Lamentation. Lament. Royal. Imprecatory. And Wisdom. Those are the most common reoccurring answers. You could read a book on the Psalms and find another two or three answers, but those are the most common reoccurring answers for how the Psalms are broken up. Again, today we're going to be looking at a hymn. So how do we know if a Psalm is a hymn or not? And this is where we're going to see how a Jewish hymn is different from how we typically think of our hymns. So a Jewish hymn, if you're ever reading the book of Psalms and you want to try and figure this out for yourself, there's a couple of clues. The first clue is that it usually opens and closes with an invitation to praise God. It usually opens and closes with some type of, let's praise God together. Let's come together and worship him. We're going to see this here in a second when we get into Psalm chapter 8. The other big clue is that So we have this bookend, let's worship God together, on the top and on the bottom. But the middle section is usually worshiping God for his attributes or the things that he has done. That's usually what's going on here. So David isn't saying, or the other writers of the Psalms, they're not saying, my enemies are surrounding me, God please deliver me. Or, God, I have sinned, will you please forgive me? Or, God, I, have, I am soaking my bed with my tears, will you please meet me in my pain? None of that is going on here. One commentator put it that hymns are songs that were saying when times were good. Things are fine. Everything's good. Let's just get together and sing about how great God is. If I were to put it in a very modern day example, it's not a perfect example, but a modern example would be for the Jews, hymns in tone would be like a summertime top 40 pop song. It's just happy and bubblegum pop, and you know I'm not angry at the world, my girlfriend didn't break up with me, my tractor didn't break down, that's what I think all country music is about. It's none of that stuff It's, hey, life's good. Everything's okay. Everything is okay. So now let's get into Psalm chapter eight so we can see an example of this and then pull out from the text what this psalm is encouraging the singers to think about. So Psalm chapter eight, starting in verse one. "'O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name "'in all the earth.'" Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. So right away, easy, easy thing that we can see here. This is a happy song. David's not saying, my enemies are surrounding me. I'm in a lot of pain. God, forgive me. Everything is okay. Let's start after that now with the beginning and with the end. Verse 1 and verse 9. Verse 1 and verse 9 are almost identical. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So it checks that box. Verse 1 has a little bit more to it. This is called an inclusio. And an inclusio is, we would maybe use the word bookended. They're bookended on both sides looking exactly the same. And here David is saying, O Lord, which in the Hebrew is the technical name of God, the intimate name of God, Yahweh. So O Yahweh, our Lord. So David is invoking the close personal name of God, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic. Other translations use words like magnificent, Excellent! How much splendor is your name in all the earth? David opens this hymn and closes this hymn by looking at God's name and saying, how majestic, how excellent, how magnificent is your name? David starts with God's name. He ends with God's name. And he concludes that his name alone is majestic and worthy of praise. Which should make the singers of this psalm and us today ask this question. Does God's name lead you to worship him? Does God's name alone lead you to worship him? Thank you so much, God, really working some things together for us this morning because this special music this morning is was perfect. Because this song that was sung earlier really focuses on, especially in the chorus, the various names and titles of God and the significance that they carry. I think for a lot of us, when we think about praising God and worshiping him, We always want to go to what God has done. We always want to go to his attributes. We always want to look at, you know, these times in our lives where God has come through for us, where God has provided for us. Or we look at, you know, truths in scripture that talk about how his mercy is new every day or that his love is always going after us. And these are good things to be worshiping and praising God about. David's going to do it here in a moment. But before David can even get to that part, just the name of God alone draws him to worship at the beginning. And then at the end, after talking about those attributes and looking at the works of God's hand, he still comes back to, your name is majestic. Your name is magnificent. So that should be a, a challenge to us. Does God's name, does Yahweh, does Prince of Peace, does Wonderful Counselor, does Son of God, does Jesus, does Friend, does Holy Spirit, do these names that we have for God in the Trinity, do they draw us to worship? That's the first question that we need to wrestle with. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Now we move into the next couple verses here, verses two, three, and four, we're going to see some of the attributes of God and some of the works of his hands. Verse two is a very fun verse. I Maybe it's just because I have a three month old now. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. I don't know how many times I have already been told that apparently Cooper has a very strong neck. He is a night boy, so he's going to be very thick-necked and very strong-headed. But I've been told time and and again, oh, your baby has such a strong neck. And he also already thinks that he can hold his own bottle, but because he has no control over his limbs, he always just keeps popping the bottle out of his mouth and then gets mad at me because he's not eating. And it's like, okay, we need to learn logic here eventually. When do I get to the logic part when child raising? Because you need to figure this out. You're driving me nuts, kid. But what's interesting here is that David is going to weakness to show the strength of God. This is almost pointing forward to in the New Testament hundreds of years later when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians about how he will boast in his weakness because when he is weak, he is strong in the Lord. God's strength is on display in weakness Time and time again in the Psalms, this keeps coming up about how God's strength is on display, not in chariots, not in war, but in himself. And that even in the weakest of things, God's strength can be on display. Because my son may have a strong neck and he might be able to punch his bottle out of his mouth, But when it comes to out of the mouth of babies and infants, he's three months old. So it just sounds like "Ah, or crying. And it's adorable, but there's not a lot of strength in his communication. But even in the weakest of vessels, God's strength is on display. So David is reflecting on. God's name Yahweh and how majestic he is he is looking at the weakest of vessels and saying even in this I can see the strength of God on display but then David does something in verses three and four that I think many of us have done to some degree and I also find verses three and four to be maybe maybe one of the most rawest moments in all of scripture Because just picture the moment, David is laying on his back, and he's looking up into the night sky. And I think many of us have done this before, whether you've been camping, or laying out in your backyard, or in the back of your truck, or on the roof, or whatever, and looking up into the night sky, and just seeing the stars, looking at the moon, looking at the night sky, just away from all of the lights, and steel mill fog that we have out here, just being able to really take in the night sky. And David's looking at this, looking at the work of God's hands. And it makes David say, who am I? Who am I that you are mindful of me? Who am I that you care about me? David is looking out into the beauty of God's creation, and it makes him feel so small. David is almost having an existential crisis, you can say, of just the beauty, the vastness of creation, the vastness of the night sky. Who am I in all of this? Who am I that you would care for me? And what's fascinating is that as time has gone on and we come to today, that night sky is still so vast. Wasn't it just earlier this month we got all those cool new pictures of stars being born and stars collapsing from deep within space, and there's so much of the space and the galaxies that are out there that we still have not been able to see, still cannot fully comprehend the vastness of God's creation? Or I've been reading the book 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It's a fictional story. But the author in the introduction to the book writes a very true statement. That it's amazing how we still want to keep going so far out into space, while yet we still haven't gotten to the very depths of the oceans. We haven't gotten to the deepest parts here on our own planet The vastness of God's creation, David is reflecting on this and he says, who am I in all of this? How do you care about me in all of this? And I find David's words to be so refreshing because I don't have to tell you this, you know this. We live in a very me-centered culture, a culture that cares a lot about yourself and taking care of yourself and putting your needs ahead of everything else. We're not going to bang on that drum because you know that. I also think, though, that within Christian culture, in modern church culture, we also have a very me-centered approach. There are so many Christians who Sunday after Sunday come to this space with a consumeristic mentality of, okay, give me my message. Give me what I want. We sing songs. I hear so many on Christian radio now that are not drawing us to worship God or not teaching deep theology, but it's all about me and what God has done for me, and it's all about the promises made to me, or we sing hymns. I was in a church for a period of time where all they sang were songs or hymns about dying and what I can get out of heaven and the promises for me in heaven. I've been a part of the Christian podcasting world for a while now, and somehow we have even turned testimonies into me-centered things. We've turned stories of how God has rescued us from hell into, let me tell you my encouraging story that will empower you. We have time and time again turned our faith into something for ourselves rather than being like David and even just seeing the beauty of creation and realizing who are we in all of this? When I was in college, I went to a college in a lake town in the townhouse I lived in for two years. I got there early during move-in weekend so that way I could get this window spot in, a, in the room and set my desk up there because it faced the direction of the lake. And so every night I got this beautiful sunset to look at while I was finishing my homework. Every night it was wonderful. And it's moments like those, I'm sure we all have those types of moments, whether it's looking out into the night sky, seeing a sunset or a sunrise, or just being out in creation, that it should help us to get out of our own heads, get out of our own selves, and remind ourselves of who are we in all of this? Look at what God has done in creation. We look now... In verses 5 through 8. And in this, I think what is important is that David asks this question, but David gives us the proper response to that question. Because I think we can be tempted, I know I've done this myself, that we can come to that place, that existential question of who are we in all of this and conclude I am a maggot, I am a worm, I am unworthy. I am nothing but a wretch, but David actually has the proper response, because although he does question and realize the smallness of humanity in the vastness of creation, David does say, yet you have made him, this is humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings. That's a very debated, differently translated phrase, heavenly beings. In the Hebrew, the word there is Elohim, and Elohim is a general word for God. Usually. Sometimes it's translated as angels. So the ESV took the broadest approach and said heavenly beings. In other words, humanity is made a little lower than the supernatural. That's an even broader way to look at it. He... God has made humanity in the vastness of the beauty of his creation. He has made humanity a little lower than himself and the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. And David goes on there in verses 6, 7, and 8, if I could summarize them like this. He goes back to the garden. David looks back to the garden and he says, you've made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and you have given us dominion over the vastness of this creation. You have called us to care and take care of the vastness of this creation and all of the creatures here. So David does not stay in a place of, well, I don't know how to answer this question. Who are we in all of this? And David doesn't just beat himself or beat humans. Instead, he has a proper view Of God and the place of humanity in all of this, that we have been given a purpose in the vastness of this creation. Yes, we are small. We are just a part of this story, but we have an important role in the created order. And that is our text this morning. So, what do we take from this hymn? Few things. You may have saw it on the first slide if it was up there. I believe that what David is showing us here is the importance of reflection as worship. Reflection as worship. David starts and he ends by reflecting on the name of God. He then looks at the, he reflects on the strength of God. He then reflects on the creation that God has created. Then he closes out reflecting on the role God has given humans in creation. Over and over and over again, David is slowing down. He's taking things in. He's thinking. He's churning things over in his mind. And he is reflecting on these different parts. The name of God the strength of God, the beauty of his creation, man's role in that creation. David is reflecting. And I believe that is an invitation to us to slow down. Because not only do we live in a very me-centered culture, no matter where you are, we live in a very fast-paced culture as well. We want what we want immediately. I can remember how long it used to take to download songs on iTunes. I think I would have went insane now, because it took forever, but that's just how life was. Now I just press play on Spotify and my life's easy. We have instant gratification all of the time. Anywhere we want in life. Fast food's not fast enough. I went to Starbucks this morning and I line jumped eight drinks because I just ordered a black coffee, so they just filled it and handed it to me. It felt great to jump all of these people in line if I'm being honest. But we live in a culture that is so fast-paced. We want everything right now. And when we as Christians live that way, we're missing out on opportunities to worship God. We're missing out on just taking time to sit and just think about Yahweh. What does that name mean? We're missing opportunities to sit back and just look at just not how cute my kid is, but just to think of like how God is demonstrating his strength through even the weakest of vessels. When we're just in this fast pace going from point A to point B all day long, we're missing the beauty of God's creation around us. When we don't slow down to think about what is our place in all of this, We're going to miss how we play a role in this creation and how that can lead us to worship God. Reflection is a lost art that we as believers need to take back. This has always been a part of our faith, but we have often moved past it. We need to slow down and reflect. Reflection is worship. But I think the second thing here is not just reflection, but reflection on God. It's God's name. It's God's strength. It's God's creation. It's the role God has given to man. We're very introspective. We can be very introspective people. Again, coming back to the me culture part. And although there is a level of introspection, excuse me, that is proper and healthy when we are constantly just looking at ourselves and what we can get from God and what God gives us and all the promises to me, we're actually missing him. We need to get our minds focused back on God. This is a space, church is a space that's supposed to be all about God. There are so many issues within the American church right now. Cases of abuse, cases of abusing women, Christian nationalism, heresy after heresy after heresy, issues all around, and there are so many solutions to these problems. I'm not trying to summarize everything down into one solution, but... If we as a church can get back to making church about God and not about the preacher in the pulpit or the songs that we sing or trying to get something out of this, if we make it about God again and coming to worship him, I think we can see some of these problems starting to go away. But we need the church to come together. You're one congregation out of Hundreds out of thousands in this country, but we need to come back to, it's not about the preacher in the pulpit. Worship leaders, I feel bad for Bradley, worship leaders have taken such a hit for so long about, ah, they're just a bunch of rock stars. Have you seen some of these preachers? Have you seen some of these preachers? And the popular ones, the ones with the big following, they're the ones who are also teaching oftentimes, not all of them, I should preface that. But a lot of the rock star ones are the ones that are also teaching the me-centered preaching, the me-centered gospel. As a church, we need to get back to God is first and foremost when we gather here. We need to reflect on his name, on his strength, on his creation, on our place that he has put us in, in that creation. That is what we come here for, God. In this past week, since I've seen you last, I have been convicted that maybe we put a little bit too much emphasis on this guy, the guy preaching, whether it's me or Dan, or I know Bradley has been up here a few times now as well, that we maybe put a little too much emphasis on this guy and where we need to be putting more emphasis on God, so I'm going to go back to my Baptist roots, coming full circle here. I know it's over there. You don't have to go over there, but we need those visible displays of we are a church coming together to worship God. So I invite you. Once Bradley comes up here and the music starts playing, I do invite you to come forward if you have a if you have been convicted. If you have felt the conviction of, yes, I have turned this into a very me-centered faith where it's all about me and what I get out of this, I invite you to come forward to pray for repentance. Or if you're feeling convicted of, yes, I have rushed time and time again past all these opportunities to be able to reflect and worship God because of his name, because of his strength, because of the works of his hands, and I want to come forward and confess that I invite you to do that. Or if If there has been a name that's been on your mind this whole time, or since that song was sung earlier, or if there's a beauty in creation that you've been thinking about since I started talking about those things, and you want to come forward and worship God because of that, that is what this space is for as well. So I invite you to come forward. Let's pray. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed that, please do all the stuff I normally talk about. Recommend it to a friend who you think will be encouraged and strengthened from hearing this message. Rate and review wherever you're listening to this show. If you haven't yet before, head down into the description where you can find links to the website, links to the shop, our Facebook and Instagram at My Seminary Life Pod. You can find me on TikTok at just.brandon.k. You can contact the show, my summit. I don't even know my own email address, email seminarylife at gmail.com, where you can critique the show, tell me I'm wrong, tell me I'm boring, and put an egg in a carton, or you could even book me. If you need a preacher or speaker of some sort, I am here for those things as well. Thanks for listening. Got another special lesson coming up in a few weeks for you. But, as always, don't forget to keep on studying.